Good morning, Hope in Christ. Amen. I hope you've had a, a blessed weekend thus far. We're glad that you chose to come and worship the Lord on this Sunday, July the 5th. We're thankful for those here in the house with us. We're also thankful for the folks watching today by Facebook and later this week, YouTube. Let's give God a hand clap of praise for all He's done in our hearts this week. Can we do that? Amen. Amen. I invite you to take out your bulletin, which contains a listening guide, a connection card, some announcements, and a lot of information about our church. But if you don't have one of these and you need one, if you'll lift your hand, we'll get one to you. Does anybody need one that doesn't have one? I believe we're covered. Okay, take out your listening guides this morning. We are, uh, me and the Lord's talking about this. This may be the conclusion of our series, 2020 Vision. I think this is the eighth or ninth message, but this could be the last one. We'll, we'll see how it goes. But uh, this is an, uh, a great, great message today, not because I'm a great preacher, not because I'm a great pastor. It has absolutely nothing to do with me. It's a great message today because it's an issue that Lots and lots of people deal with on a daily basis. And it's an even greater message because God's Word has so much to say about it. God's Word. Um, you know, the, uh, the book business is one of the most uh, profitable businesses on the planet. Lots and lots of books are written every day. Lots and lots of great books have been written in the past. And there'll be a lot of great books written going forward. And books contain lots of wonderful, helpful information. Can I get an amen? But still today, this book, God's Word, continues to be the best-selling book on the planet. Does anybody have any questions why? I don't. I understand why it's the best-selling book on the planet because this is a handwritten book by the hand of God, through inspiration into men's minds and men's heart, they pinned these words down as God told them what to write down, and it's the book of the ages. It, it, it begins in the beginning of time, and it ends with the ending of time as we know it, and it continues throughout all of eternity. It contains information from eternity past. It contains information uh, today, it contains information for eternity future. It's God's book. It's God's book to us. I want to share with you, before we get into the message, we, uh, we received a, a really nice thank you card, the church did, and it reads, To Hope in Christ Fellowship, thank you for your hospitality toward our children. We are truly thankful. And it is signed by the 8th grade class of Wilson Elementary School. Yeah, give them a hand. Lots of schools had to forego graduation, especially some of the elementary schools and such. And the situation there at Wilson Elementary was, uh, they normally do have an 8th grade graduation, but eighth grade graduation is not senior high graduation, so not so much of an emphasis was placed on it. But due to the 
COVID-19 thing going on. They, they weren't allowed to have their eighth grade graduation. So uh, we couldn't even call it the Wilson eighth grade graduation because that infringes upon the public school system. So we didn't have a Wilson Elementary School graduation here. But the eighth grade class that attends a church, attends a school in this community, did come and use our facilities to celebrate their eighth grade graduation. And that who, that's who the card is from. And we were just so thankful to uh, help them and be a blessing to them. And the church provided them a meal, and, and they had a graduation program. And it was just a great, great night, and it really blessed their hearts and blessed their parents' hearts. So this morning, 2020 vision, 2020 vision, refocusing your life, me refocusing my life, us refocusing our lives as individuals. Uh, this morning, we're going to talk about discouragement. Can I ask a foolish question this morning? Has anybody in the room ever been discouraged? It'd be easier, it'd be easier to ask this question. Has anyone in the room never been discouraged? And a silence fell, right? And a silence fell. So, the Christian life, the Christian life. What, what is the Christian life? About. I, I think we can uh, I think we can kind of sum it up this way. I mean that that's like a, a that's like that question is like a diamond ring. There's so many facets to it, but I think we can say this the Christian life is about learning how to think because life is all about what we think. Can I get an amen? We've learned that through this series. The Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So our thinking is very, very, very important. If we get our thinking right, we'll get our attitudes right. If we get our thinking and our attitudes right, our actions will follow and life will change. Amen? But the Christian life is about learning to think less and less from my point of view and to learn to begin to think from God's point of view because God always, always, always thinks truth. God always thinks truth. And the more I absorb God's Word into my mind and into my heart and into my life, the more I absorb God's Word into my life, God's truth into my life, the more my thoughts begin to change. And I begin to exercise the mind of Christ. And when I'm thinking God's thoughts and when I'm thinking God's way, then my life is going to go the way God wants my life to go. And God's way for my life to go is the best way for my life to go. Can I give you an example? Um, I've shared this with a, a few of you, but I, I'll just go ahead and, and make it public knowledge now. Uh, you all know that I serve as chaplain at Standing Stone Care and Rehab. And for the past two years or so, uh, it's been a part-time position. I'm what they call a bivocational pastor. Me and Pastor Darrell both. We, we serve you as pastor here, but we also have jobs outside of Hope in Christ Fellowship. Well, due to everything that's taking place in healthcare, I got a phone call about two weeks ago that gave me two options. Gave me two options. 
option one was June the 26th at 5 o'clock p.m. will be your last day on the job serving as chaplain. Option two is due to cuts in the organization. Due to cuts in the organization. Option number two is you can stay with Signature as a chaplain, but instead of working part-time at Standing Stone Care and Rehab, you'll have to go back to full-time service, and you'll be serving Standing Stone, Signature of Putnam and Allgood, Pickett Care and Rehab in Birchtown, and Fentress Care and Rehab in Jamestown. So I can't afford to go home yet, right? So my only other option was, yes, I will, re- I will remain serving as chaplain. So I'm now serving as chaplain in four buildings. So will you pray for me? I'm still available. You call me 24-7. I'm a little busier, but I'm still available, okay? Still available. So it's the first of the week. It's Tuesday, this past week on Tuesday. And I'm making phone calls. I'm reaching out to the administrators at these three other facilities, trying to arrange my week to get in their facility and and get better acquainted with them and and, and kind of get my feet wet serving as chaplain in those other three buildings. And and they're busy people. They're, I'm not knocking anything in this conversation. They're busy people. So I can't get through to them, so I leave messages and I leave voicemails. This is Tuesday morning at about 8.30. Well, about 11, 11 11.15, I've not heard from anybody. And they're busy people. I understand that. I understand that. But I've not heard back from anybody, and I'm thinking, "I, I need to get my week going here. And it's been three hours. Surely, surely I should have heard something by now. So it's lunchtime. So I go out on the hallway and I begin to help the CNAs pass lunch trays and, and visit with some of the folks. And about 11.30, I go to the dining room up front where the activities office is. And uh, I'm not angry. I'm not even upset. I'm just restless because I need to, I need to plan my week and get on with my business. And a phone call comes in. Uh, our activities assistant gets a phone call from the neighbor that lives across the road from them that her husband is laying in the yard and she can't get him to respond. So she rushes home. She gets home and she finds her husband dead laying in the yard. She calls back the facil- to the facility to let us know what's going on, and I immediately dash out of the door and go to her house, and I'm able to spend the rest of the afternoon with her. They, they moved here from Connecticut. They don't have relatives here, so she would have been alone apart from uh, one niece that they have in the area. So I get home that afternoon, and, and uh, I'm thankful, thankful to be able to serve in, in that capacity, but those are stressful days. You understand? Those are those are stressful days. And uh, so it's later that night, and I'm sitting at home, and I'm just kind of processing the day, especially the afternoon. And God reminded me that He's in control, that He's in charge. I was I was trying I was trying to plan my day my way. 
And I wanted to hear back with some folks so I could go ahead and jump into action where I thought I needed to be doing what I needed to do. You see, God already knew the circumstances that was already unfolding. And he held me captive in Monterey till 1130 until that phone call came in because he knew where I needed to be. Now, that's the way life goes. When we're being led of the Spirit, when we're thinking like the Lord and not thinking like ourselves. But I'll be honest with you, the rest of the week started falling into place, but everywhere I went, there was just tragedy on every hand. I got a phone call on Thursday that the 40-something-year-old worship leader at Life Church Livingston Campus, he and his wife had went out exercising Thursday afternoon. She runs. He rides a bike. He collapsed. He died four times. He coded four times, and they brought him back to life four times. The cardiologist told his wife, that is not normal. That doesn't happen. When people code two or three times, it's over. Late Thursday night, I get to pray with him over the phone. They've taken him into surgery. They've placed stents and they give him a good prognosis going forward. A few other situations. I won't go into all of them. It's just been a busy week. It's been a a difficult week, and I've really had to battle discouragement this week. My life has taken a change, and I don't know about you, I'm okay with some changes in life. I'm okay with some changes in life. But the older I get, the less I like change. Anybody else in the room? And my world changed this week as far as the amount of hours that I put into the chaplaincy, the amount of miles I have to travel, Um, responsible not only for one building but now for four buildings. And, you know, it's just piling on. It's just piling on, and I'm feeling discouragement knock at my door. Every person in this room has similar stories to tell about life, don't you? And how we have to battle discouragement, most likely daily. Most likely daily. Last week, we talked about sin. Anybody remember the sermon from last week? I've got more feedback from last week's sermon than I've got in all my years combined. We talked a lot about temptation. We talked about sin. When we're tempted, what do we have to do? We have to resist it, don't we? God's Word says we have to resist temptation. We have to outthink it is what we have to do. We have to outthink temptation. We, we have to change our mind to line up with God's Word. We have to change our thinking to line up with God's thinking. 
That's called repentance. We've been talking about repentance since we started this series. Repentance is a changing of mind. We stop seeing things the way we see it. We begin seeing it the way God sees it. And we start thinking the way God thinks. We start living life the way God wants us to live life. This week, what I want us to look at is how we continue to repent in the various areas of our life. I want us to look at how we're to change our minds about the way we think about the things that discourage us. Now, we took a poll when I first stood here, and everybody in the room, I get discouraged. I battle discouragement. I battle discouragement. I heard a preacher friend of mine this week talking about discouragement. So you can take the base word of encourage and you can put a dis on the front of it and what does the dis do to the word courage? It sucks every bit of the courage out of it, doesn't it? We're discouraged. Or you can take the base word courage and you can put en on the front of it. En is on the front of the word enter, isn't it? So you can put E-N on the front of encourage, and what do you do? You enter into courage. That's interesting, isn't it? So as easy as it is to become discouraged, we can also easily be encouraged if we know how to enter into courage. Think about that. We know how to enter into courage. Now, I don't know what might be discouraging you right now. I I know what discourages me. But if you're discouraged, you picked a great week to come to church this morning. Amen? Folks that are watching today through Facebook, if you're discouraged, you picked a great Sunday to tune in and listen. Again, take out your listening guide, if you will, this morning. And let's look at the seven disciplines of defeating discouragement. The seven disciplines of defeating discouragement. The Bible has a whole lot to say about discouragement there's a couple of examples right there in your listening guide the first one is exodus chapter 6 and verse 9 moses told the people what the lord had said you know that's kind of what daryl and myself do we tell you all what the lord has said as moses was uh, the one that god had chose to lead his children out of captivity and out of slavery, that, that's the same calling that Pastor Darrell and myself share with Moses. Uh, a lot of folks are held captive by a lot of things. And we've been chosen and sent by God to help deliver you out of those things. We've been chosen of God to help deliver you out of the slavery to, to sin and to temptation and discouragement and all the horrible bad things the world hurls our way. Moses told the people what the Lord had said. Is that a good thing? Is it not good to hear what God has said? That's a good thing. There's that famous three-letter word, though. But Moses told the people what the Lord had said, but they wouldn't listen anymore. That's a problem. And that's not a problem new to our generation. That's That's a problem since the Garden of Eden. God told Adam and Eve what he wanted them to know, 
But they chose not to listen. Thus, the mess we've had on our hands the past several thousand years. But they wouldn't listen anymore. They had become too discouraged. Discouragement will keep you from listening to the Lord. Discouragement will convince you to begin to listen to your circumstances, begin to listen to other people, begin to listen to false information. They have become too discouraged by the increasing burden of their slavery. So my question would be this morning, what is holding you captive? What what are you enslaved to? that is causing you to be so discouraged that you no longer hear what God would have you to hear? What burden is dragging you down? What are you dealing with like these people that's causing you not to listen to God? Listen, when you're the most discouraged, it's when you most need to listen to the voice of God. Amen? But it's when we're the most discouraged that we're too discouraged to hear what God's saying. And the only way we can be delivered from the circumstances that are causing us to be so discouraged is by listening to God. How do we, how do we fix that problem? How do we cure that problem? Well, secondly, there in your listening God, King David felt this same burden in Psalm 42, verse 5. And he, he, he's asking himself, a question. King David talked to himself a lot. Have you picked up on that in the book of Psalms? It's a good practice. Psychologists, psychiatrists will tell you, don't talk to yourself. That's a sign of insanity. I'm, I'm, I'm nutty as peanut butter. I'm telling you. I talk to Steve more than anybody else talks to Steve, and you should be thankful for that. I talk to me. I talk myself out of a lot of stupid things. And I talk myself into a lot of good things. I'm serious. I talk to myself a lot. And it helps. It helps. King David in Psalm 42, 5, he says, Why am I so discouraged? Why am I so discouraged? Why am I sad? Now, here's what the psychologist will tell you. It's okay to talk to yourself. It's okay to ask yourself questions. Just don't answer yourself. That, that's when you need to be locked up in a padded cell. It's when you go to answering yourself. But guess what the Bible says? King David asked himself a question. Why am I so discouraged? Why am I so sad? And guess what he does? He answers himself. And his answer is this. I will put my hope in God. I will put my hope in God. Anytime you feel discouraged, here's what you need to do. You need to change what you're thinking. You need to change what you're thinking. You need to change your mind. You need to refocus your life. You need to put your hope in God. Today what we're going to do, I want you to turn to the book of 2 Corinthians. I'm in 2 Chronicles. That's the wrong covenant. Let's go over to the new covenant. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians. Second Corinthians is right after First Corinthians. That'll help you out a little bit. Let's look at the Apostle Paul. Let's listen to see what the Apostle Paul has to say about discouragement. 
we're going we're to look at some great examples from Paul's writings on how to refocus our life by refocusing our thinking so we don't live life being so discouraged. Now, if anybody in Scripture, if anybody had ever written down reasons to be discouraged, Paul had a laundry list. Paul had good cause to be discouraged a lot. He had a laundry list of legitimate reasons to be discouraged. He had a very, very, very tough life. He did. And Paul wasn't one to whine. Now, now he would he would let you peek into his life and understand what he's going through, but he never complained. He never whined about it. He always shined about it. His life was certainly, certainly a whole lot tougher than your life and my life. If you don't believe me, look up here at this scripture that I want to share with you. Listen to what Paul says. Again, this is not complaining. Don't, don't read this out of context. Paul's not complaining. He, he's looking to God for hope. And he's given us the example that regardless of what you go through in life, if you keep your eyes fixed on the prize, life is going to continue on, and you're going to live a life that brings God glory and brings you a lot of success. He says, I have worked much harder. Okay, nothing wrong with hard work. I've been in prison more frequently because of preaching the gospel. I've never had the privilege of going to prison for preaching the gospel, but I look forward to it. I do. Brother Steve, you think you'll ever go to prison for preaching the gospel? If we stay on the track we're on right now, most likely, will you all come see me? I've worked much harder. I've been in prison. Now listen, I'm talking about preaching the Bible. Now now you can preach without going to prison, but if you preach the Word of God the way it's written, you'll risk going to prison going forward in life. I guarantee it. I've worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently because of preaching the gospel. I've been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again five times. Five times I've received 39 lashes. Now, just reading this, you're like, oh, that's that's sad. Are you hearing what this man has experienced? Have you ever been flogged ever? Now, I ain't talking about your wife getting on to you. That ain't a flogging. I'm talking about they, they, they strip your clothes off of you and, and they take a whip and, and they don't spank you. They don't pat you. I'm talking about a Roman centurion built like Arnold Schwarzenegger taking 39 lashes upon your body five times. Five times. Been in prison frequently. Three times was beaten so badly with rods, stoned once, and left for dead. Everybody's going, hmm, I don't feel so discouraged now, aren't you? Already. Three times I was shipwrecked, spent an entire night and an entire day on the open sea, probably hanging on to driftwood. There was no Coast Guard out looking for him either. 
And I've been constantly on the move, and I've been in danger from rivers and bandits and even from my own countrymen. I've been in danger from the Gentiles, that is the non-believers, in danger in the city and in the country and at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I've often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst, and I've gone without food. I've been cold. I've been naked with no clothes. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressures of my concern for all the churches. Kind of makes me want to stand here and look at everybody, including me, chiefly me, and say, suck it up, buttercup. Huh? You, you, you may have a list, but your list doesn't compare to this, does it? So we're going to listen to an expert when it comes to discouragement. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In your listening guide, the first discipline of defeating discouragement to me is the obvious one. The number one discipline that we've got to practice in our everyday life, every morning that you wake up, you need to remind yourself, God loves me. Now, there'll be mornings you might wake up and not feel very loved. I ain't talking about feeling loved. I'm talking about being loved. For God so loved the world. God loves you with an undying love. God loves you with an unconditional love. How many is thankful for God's unconditional love this morning? God loves you. He loves you passionately. He loved you so much that he had one son and he sent that one son to come and die a horrible, horrible, brutal death so that you could have a relationship with God, so that you could enjoy life here on planet Earth, so that you could spend eternity with God in heaven when this life is over. The very first discipline to defeating discouragement in your life. Now, folks, listen, we talked about books a while ago. Now, I'm going to ask you a question and I don't want the Christian answer, and I don't want the easy answer. I, I'm talking about nitty-gritty, absolute truth of what you believe. Do you believe this book? Don't answer too quickly. Do you believe this book? Do you believe this book holds the promises of God to His people? I'm telling you this morning, I'm not going to stand here today and and, and, and fluff it up and tell you that if you'll practice these disciplines that you'll never, ever, ever be discouraged again. But I am telling you this. If you're discouraged, and if you'll listen to what God has to say to us today, and if you'll practice these disciplines, you will spend far, far, far less time discouraged and far much more time being encouraged. Never forget how much God loves me. We've got to keep our minds focused on the fact that God loves us. We've got to keep our hearts focused on the fact because as Christians, listen to me, as Christians, everything in life flows out of God's love for us, flows out of God's mercy that He shows us, flows out of God's grace that He shows us day in and day out, the kindness of God. It all flows out of love. So the number one discipline to practice every day of life is never forget how much God loves me. Would you do this with me this morning? 
I want you to talk to yourself right now. And I want you to say this with me on the count of three. On the count of three, I want you to say, and I want you to mean it when you say it. I want you to say, God loves me. One, two, three. Some people couldn't follow directions. I'm telling you. I'm not going to complain because what you did was you said God loves me. How can I complain about that? 2 Corinthians chapter 4 in verse 1. God in His mercy has given us this ministry and work to do. In God's mercy, God in His mercy has given us this ministry and work to do. That's why we don't become discouraged and never give up. Here's a reason. He said, here's a reason not to be discouraged. Here's a reason not to give up. Because God has given us a work to do. God has given us a ministry to do. He's given us the ministry of not being discouraged, thus being encouraged and encouraging others. Are you a Christian who builds other people up or are you a Christian who's constantly bringing people down? It's a good question. Multiple times in this chapter alone, Paul is going to say these same words. This is why we don't get discouraged. This entire chapter is all about discouragement. He starts by saying, I don't get discouraged. Paul is saying, I, Paul, I don't get discouraged because I remember daily how much God loves me. I remember how much God loves me. I remember the mercy and grace that God shows me. I remember the kindness that God demonstrates toward me all the time. And when I'm focused on that, guess what it does? It takes the diss off the courage. And I'm encouraged. Did you know that life itself, if you're breathing this morning, say amen. That's an easy one, wouldn't it? If you're breathing this morning, you're breathing because of the mercy of God. Because we're all sinners in the sight of God, and the wages of sin is what? So if God were to, in, if God were to enact perfect justice upon planet Earth today, everything and everybody would have to instantly die. If God enacted, well, we're living in a world of justice, aren't we? Justice this, justice that. Let me tell you, as human beings, we don't want justice. Justice says you've got to die and I've got to die, and not only die, but spend eternity in hell. But by God's mercy, by God's grace, because of God's love, life itself is a gift the mercy of God. You should be encouraged that God's allowing you to breathe right now. That's a blessing, isn't it? So what is mercy? Well, it's a lot of things, but primarily mercy is this. Mercy is God giving me what I need instead of what I deserve. You don't want what you deserve, do you? People's all the time complaining, I don't get what I deserve. Think about that. Think about that. 
Two of the benefits of always focusing on God's love and mercy is this. When we understand God's mercy, we realize that we have nothing to prove to God. God knows who you are. God knows what you are. Who are you? You're a child of the Most High God. You're a child of the Most High God. You're His child. He knows who you are. He knows whose you are. You don't have to prove to God anything. Most people go through life so discouraged because they're living a works-based salvation, always trying to prove to God who they are. That'll cause you to live in defeat and discouragement. The second thing is this. When we, when we know and when we're focusing on God's love and we're focusing on God's mercy, we don't have to wallow in our failures. Why don't we have to wallow in our failures? Because I know God's grace and I know God's mercy and I know God's love. And what does God's grace, love, and mercy do concerning my failures? It wipes them clean. Here's the second discipline of defeating discouragement. Never fake it. Be who you are. Be who you are. There are a lot, and I mean a lot, of great men of God that I'm just a, I'm just a hair away from idolizing. But that would be a sin, wouldn't it? So what I say is I, I greatly appreciate their ministry and I look up to them greatly. And I'll be honest, there's a few that if God gave me the chance, I might even trade places with them. There, there's some great men of God that I'd like to walk in their shoes for a day. I really would. And I could come to this pulpit week after week after week and imitate those people but that wouldn't benefit me and that wouldn't benefit you. You know who needs to be the lead pastor at Hope in Christ Fellowship? Jesus, absolutely. The under-shepherds being Steve Looper and Daryl Key. And we don't need to go around faking like we're somebody else. We, I just need to be Steve and Daryl just needs to be Daryl. And the same goes for you. Quit faking who you are in life and just be you. And I hear what you're thinking. I mean, it's hurting my ears. I can hear it so loud. Some of y'all are sitting there thinking, but I don't like who I am. I don't like where I live. I don't like the house I live in. I don't like the way I look. I don't like the way I don't like, I don't like, I don't like, I don't like. And, and since I am so consumed with not liking who I am and I'm so consumed with not liking how I look and I'm so consumed with not liking me, I'm going to create this alter me and I'm going to fake it. All right, that's your choice to make. But here's the promise. 
you're going to be miserable. And if you're living that life right now, you're already miserable. And misery loves company. How many's ever heard that before? Misery's favorite friend is discouragement. Misery's favorite friend is discouragement. Quit faking it. Be who you are. Be real. Be authentic. Be genuine. You've got to be, and I've got to be, who God made me to be, and you've got to be who God made you to be. If God wanted you to be any other way, He would have made you that way. When you go through life acting, when you go through life posing, it gets very, very tiring. Because who you are comes natural. But when you're faking it, you have to constantly rehearse the lines in your head of what to say and when to say it and where to go and when to go and all this ridiculous posing and pretending and faking it. Listen, God didn't create you to be anybody else besides you. I may, I may go to prison for preaching this way this week because I'm preaching against a multi, multi-billion dollar industry. Right? I mean, what can you not get fixed this day and time? If you got enough money or good enough insurance, am I, am I preaching the truth or am I preaching the truth? If you want God's blessing on your life, here's what you need to do. Just start being you. Just start being you. Here's one I've struggled with all my life. Stop trying to please everybody. Stop trying to please everybody. God didn't put you on earth for the approval of others. He put you on earth to be who you are and He created you for Himself and He created you so that He could demonstrate His love towards you and in turn you could demonstrate that love for others. That's hard to do when you're living a fake life. When we live out being who God made us to be, God says, yes, that's my boy. That's my girl. Ain't that good? Paul says, don't fake it. Here's what he said in 2 Corinthians 4, 2. We don't try to trick anyone. We're not in the business of trickery. We're not in the business of fake. We're not in the business of phony. We're not in the business of pretending. We don't try to trick anyone, and we don't twist the Word of God. Instead, we teach the truth plainly, showing everyone who we really are. That, that, that tells us why, why Paul gave us that long list of things that he had experienced in life and that long list of what he had gone through in life to tell us that in the worst of times and in the worst of situations, Paul said, you guess what? I'm just Paul. I'm not going to pretend that bad things don't happen. I'm not going to pretend like they don't affect me. I'm not going to pretend when I'm truly discouraged. I'm just going to be who I am and know whose I am, and I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust Him. I'm going to keep my eyes on 
Him. I'm not going to try to trick anyone. I'm not going to twist the Word of God. I'm not going to preach health, wealth, and prosperity. Please tell me you ain't bought into that mess. You ain't mailing them no money. Please tell me you're not mailing them money. But please tell me you're not buying blessings off of TV. We're not pretending that we're something we're not. And we don't twist the Word of God. Instead, we teach the truth plainly, showing everyone who we really are. Nothing, nothing is more discouraging than trying to please everybody. Why? Why? Because even God can't please everybody. One person's praying for rain, the other's praying for sunshine. Somebody ain't getting what they want. So if God can't please anybody, who do you think you are? I hope you know this already. If not, please don't gasp out loud and embarrass me. I'm a very flawed man. Michelle, shh. That whole row, shh. Yeah. And I've made a practice since I've, and it's got me in trouble a lot. From the time I started preaching some 25, 26 years ago, I've always been transparent from the pulpit. I, I tell people what my flaws are. I tell people I'm not perfect. I share stupid things that I've done. And, and I've, been, I've been corrected on several occasions from other pastors and directors of missions and other people. You ought not to get up there and talk about yourself like that. You're going to cause people not to respect you. No, I'm going to teach them how to be real. If I'm this fake person up here and everything in my life every day is perfect and wonderful and I don't have no flaws, I'm going to be a discouragement to you. But when you look up here and you see my life and you hear about my life and you say, that guy's as goofy as I am, then we're going somewhere, aren't we? Then we can go through life together, can't we? Here's the point. We don't grow from other people's strengths. We grow from one another's weaknesses. We really do. We really do. So here's a question. What's keeping you from being real? What's keeping you from being real? And the, the, the one four-letter word that is the correct answer for everybody listening today is this word. Here's what's keeping you from being real, and here's what keeps me from being real all the time. Fear. It's the fear of rejection. If I'm real, I'll be thought less of. No, if you'll be real, you'll be thought more of because you're being honest and you're being transparent and you're being real. You're not faking it. For all 
have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So what's the antidote to fear and rejection? It's point number one. Know how much God really loves you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In our most flawed state, God loved us enough to send Jesus to die for us. Here's the third discipline. I just thought this up this week. I don't know where it came from. Just a brand new thought I had this week. We could skip this one, couldn't we? No, because as much as we say it, as much as we say it, as much as we teach it, as much as we attempt to practice it, man, we fail at this all the time, don't we? Now, a while ago, I asked you, now try to do better this time. I said on the count of three, wait for three. On the count of three, I want you to say, it's not about me. It'll be painful. It'll hurt. Uh, Marvin, the white bucket back there has all the Kleenexes. Get ready to pass them out. This is, this is going to be bad. This is going to be bad. I'm... I may not even, can even finish the message after this. People will be weeping and wailing and hearts will be hurting and tears and the altars will be full here in just a minute. On account three, I want you to say with me, it's not about me. One, two, three. It's not about me. Y'all did so much better than I thought you would. Held it together good. Yeah, give, give yourself a hand. Yeah, you've done good. Y'all might succeed in therapy after that. That's a good test. We have to remember every day how much God loves us. Now, that should be the cure-all right there. If we know what agape love is all about, that's the purest love. God loves us with that love. That, That fixes it. But if that doesn't fix it for you, stop trying to fake it. Just be you. Just be you. Know your love the way you are. And number three, remember every day, it's not about you. It's not about me. Who's it all about, church? It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. The more self-focused I am in life, the more discouraged I'm going to be. The more I think about me, the more discouraged I'm going to be. That rhymes. I get a good in there once in a while. Every time that you forget that life is bigger than you, every time you forget that you're not the center of the universe, every time you forget that you're not God's gift to this world, you're either going to get prideful or fearful or bitter. When life is all about you and you're number one, you are going to be prideful, you're going to be fearful, and you're going to be bitter. And that's not good. That's going to discourage you. 
Not only that, but when you think everything's all about you, you does, does anybody have chronic hurt feelings in the room? Hurt feelings all the time? I mean, a fly can't even land on you well without you getting your feelings hurt. Do you know why your feelings are hurt all the time? Because life is all about you. You take everything personal. You take everything personal. And you get your feelings hurt all the time. So you're discouraged. You're just a mess. You're just a mess. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5. Paul says, our message is not about ourselves. The message we preach is not about us, it's about Jesus. And if the message we preach is about Jesus, then all of life should be about Jesus. Beth and I was just having a wonderful conversation before church started this morning. She had done this precept uh, Bible study of Exodus chapter 17, and Moses strikes the rock, and out of the rock comes what? Water. What's that a picture of? Jesus is the rock. And when Jesus was struck on the cross of Calvary, what come flowing out of him? The river of living water. Ain't that good stuff? Ain't that good stuff? The message is not about us. And I was telling her, it's either a book or a sermon, and I can't remember. It talks about the scarlet thread that runs from Genesis through Revelation. The entire book has Jesus written on every page. Even though his name might not appear as Jesus, he's on every page. He's in every chapter. He's in every verse. Why? It's all about Jesus. Our message is not about ourselves. It is about Jesus Christ as the Lord. As the Lord. We are merely your servants for Jesus's Say, everything I do in life should be about Jesus because I belong to Him. I'm His and He is mine. Now, it says a couple of more important things in that verse. It says our message is not about us. This, 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 this falls under the category of evangelism. And we teach this in Hope 400. Every person that is born again has a testimony. And your testimony is important, but let me tell you something about evangelism and sharing the gospel with other people. Your testimony has zero power to lead people to Christ. It's a good story. It's a good example. But your testimony can't save people. The Bible doesn't say we are we are begotten by the testimony of the saints. The Bible says we're begotten by the Word of God. By the Word of God. Our testimony is important, but that's not our message. Our message is Jesus Christ and Him crucified and resurrected from the dead. So God has a unique life message for each and every one of us. It is God found me in my trespasses and sins. He found me dead. He breathed new life into me. He called me to Himself. He gave me faith and repentance as grace gifts. He allowed me to call upon the name of the Lord for salvation. And I'm now saved and on my way to heaven and filled with the Holy Spirit because God loves me. The message that God wants to say through you 
to the whole world is that life is not about Steve Looper. It's about Jesus Christ. And you just take Steve Looper out of that and fill your name in, and that's the message we're to be declaring. That's our life message. That's what we teach in 100. God didn't put you on earth to be all about you. God puts you on earth to be all about Him. He's our Creator. He's our Sustainer. He's our Savior. He's our Lord. When I focus on me, I'm going to get discouraged, period. Period. Now, the second part of that verse, it says, it's not about us because we're merely servants for Jesus' sake. And Paul says that twice in this chapter. He says, we do do for Jesus' sake. And what he's talking about is motivation. What motivates you? What motivates you? Motivation and discouragement have a lot to do with one another. They have a whole lot to do with one another. Listen, God is always more interested in why you do what you do instead of what you do. It's the why. Let me say that again. God is always more interested in why you're doing what you're doing than He is what or even how because He cares about what? The motivation of our hearts. What's motivating you? What's motivating you? We can all do the right thing for the wrong reason. Why, listen, why always determines how long in life? The why. When you forget the why, you get discouraged and you quit. Truthfully, truthfully. This church used to be over 200 people in attendance. Now it's under 100 in attendance. If my why for being the pastor of this church was to pastor a great large amount of people, I would get discouraged and I would quit. But I'm not discouraged and I have no plans to quitting because God is in control of all things at all times and I'm doing what I do and I'm saying what I say for His sake because I'm His humble servant. I'll preach if there's one of you in here. I'll preach if there's two of you in here. I'll preach if there's 200 or 2,000. I'm going to do what I'm going to do because I'm doing it for the sake and the cause of Jesus Christ. And number is just a number. Number is just a number. It's an important thing. God wrote a whole book called Numbers. So God is interested in numbers, right? We've got to keep the why in focus, and the why is always about Jesus. Number four, number four. Now, this ties back to quit faking it and just be real. Just take a deep breath and know that you have limitations, and those limitations are there on purpose. So just relax. Just relax in your limitations and know this. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You can't do it all. I can't do it all. So quit being discouraged because you can't do it all. Just relax in your limitations. I need to relax in my limitations. Now, why is that so important? Why is that such an important antidote 
to discouragement. Because you get discouraged when you try to be a superhero. Superheroes in movies and TV should be banned. They're a bad influence. Let me tell you how bad they are. I'm just a kid. I'm probably Grant's age. And and I'm watching Superman on TV. I'm, I'm somewhere around two or three years old. I have a little comfort blanket I drag around with me. It's blue. Part of Superman's outfit was blue. And you know what they say about Superman? He's able to leap off tall buildings and do all this stuff. And I tied that blanket around my neck. I crawled up on the highest platform I could find in the house. It was the tank of the commode. Because I could get on the top of the commode lid, and then I got up on the tank. And I flew. And I Crash. And I bit my tongue almost in half. So bad they had to take me to the doctor and I had to have stitches put in my tongue. First and only time I did that. Right? From that day forward, I relaxed in my limitations. Because if you don't relax in your limitations, it'll take you to lamentations. For the next four to six weeks, you can't do anything fun with stitches in your tongue. I promise you. It hurt. I remember once I was back in the bedroom, I'd found the the can opener. And I was going to take them stitches out because they hurt me. And I was in there trying to put that can opener on them stitches and... I was a dumb kid. I'm just telling you. I, was. I wasn't relaxing in my limitations. I need to relax in my limitations. We get discouraged when we try to be superheroes. We all need a realistic view of who we are and who He is. Right? We cannot be in more places than in one place at a time. Is that true? Anytime we don't live within the limitations of our life that are normal, we're going to get discouraged. We're going to get discouraged. Paul talks about physical limitations in verse 7. He said you need to know your limits. You need to know the warning signs when you're overextended and you need to realize that you just need to stop. Look at this. Perfect example. We are all, we are all like clay jars in which God's treasure is stored. We're just, we're just the clay pot. That, that's a limitation. We're, we're just the container. It's what we contain that is the antidote to discouragement. Okay? The real power comes from God and not from us. I had a pastor one time, one of his favorite phrases was this, you ain't all that in a bag of chips. Huh? Just be the bag and let God be the chips. Okay? You just just be the container that holds the good stuff. 
And that's what Paul is saying here. We are like clay jars in which God's treasure is stored. The real power comes from what's stored inside the clay pot, and that real treasure is God. Throughout all of history, from Genesis 3 forward, you see flawed men and flawed women doing great and mighty things through the power of God. Through the power of God. Number five. Number five. Paul, Paul says just be real, be honest, accept your limitations. Number five. Number five. This is a good one. Use my pain to help others. Use my pain to help others. I was telling you about... Um, John Dixon, who collapsed Thursday night with 100% blockage in the Widowmaker on the back of his heart and the right side, 90% blocked, in his 40s. He's a worship leader. And instantly, after I prayed with him, I thought, he'll never lead worship the same again. Why? He died four times before they got him into surgery and got the stents in. He will never, ever, ever, ever lead worship the way he led worship before. It'll be a whole new experience. He will use his pain to be a blessing to hundreds and thousands of people in a brand new way going forward. What kind of pain have you been through in life? You know, pain is never fun and pain is never easy, is it, Michael? Me and Michael's been through backs being out this week. Yesterday was the first time I could really move without screaming and hollering, and I'm much better today. I'm not even wearing a back brace today. But now listen, there's worse pain, and I'm talking about more in-depth pain than that. Every person in this room... You've been through painful life experiences, and I'm not talking about physical ailments. You, you've been to Hades and back before, haven't you? Very painful circumstances. And in the midst of the pain, the first question we always ask is why? And God's done told us why. Romans 8.28 says, All things work together for good to those who love the Lord, those who are called according to His purpose. Everything in your life has a purpose. The good has purpose, the bad has purpose, and all the gray area between is filled with God's purposes. And the purpose in, of pain in life is sometimes to teach us a lesson, but once we learn that lesson, then we're to share our pain and the lesson we've learned with others so that they too can grow from our pain. Pain should never be wasted. Can I get an amen? Pain should never, ever, ever be wasted. Paul says we should use our pain to help other people. In verses 8 and 9, he said we often suffer. What's the middle word there? We often suffer. But we're never crushed. That's good news, ain't it? 
I mean, right off the bat, you, you just read that out of context and you're already discouraged. Great, I'm going to suffer often. But if you stop there, that could be discouraging. But just know this, just face the truth. As a child of God, you are going to, on oft occasions, more often than not, you are going to suffer because Jesus said he suffered when he was here because the world hated him and he left us here to be hated by the world but to be loved by God. But we're never crushed. We're never crushed. Even when we don't know what to do, ever been there? Even when we don't know what to do, what do we do? We never give up. You, you just need to write that down somewhere. From this day forward, giving up is not in my vocabulary. Because I know I'm going to suffer often, but I'm never going to be crushed. Even when we don't know what to do, we're not giving up. In times of trouble, guess what? We're those clay jars, and the treasure is on the inside. And what's the treasure? It's not a what, it's a who. Who's the treasure? Jesus. God is with us. And when we're knocked down, what do we do? We get up again. We get up again. Again and again and again through these scriptures, he says we never give up. We're not going to get discouraged. We never give up. In times of trouble, God is with us. And when we're knocked down, we get up again. Why is Paul so resilient? What is so different about Paul that's not like us? Why is Paul so resilient? Why is he so resistant to discouragement? What allows him to keep getting back up again every time he's knocked down? Well, if we ask Paul, if we were to ask Paul this question, why, why did you put up with all that, Paul? Paul, why did you put up with all that? Why did you put up with all the jailings, the, the beatings, the going without food, being naked, being cold, being cold, being shipwrecked three times, spending the night and the day at sea, all those things that have happened. Why did you put all, why did you put up with all that? He, he answers the question in verse 15. Why should you keep putting up with everything you have to put up with as a child of God, knowing that you're going to often suffer? Why do you keep getting back up? Why do you never quit? Here's the answer is why. All of these sufferings of ours are for the benefit of others. You see how this ties together with the great commandment? Love God supremely, love everybody else as much as we love ourselves, and be willing to suffer so that others aren't discouraged. Because what God sees me through, God will see you through. All of these sufferings of ours are for your benefit, for others' benefits. And the more of you who are one to Christ, the more there are to thank Him for His great mercy and the more God gets the glory. So next time we hear the choo-choo train coming down the tracks of suffering, the real us on the inside need to say, God, I don't pretend to understand why. But if it's for your glory and it's for more souls being saved, God, bring it on. God, bring it on. I am willing to suffer for your honor and for your glory. He says that 
All that stuff is called redemptive suffering. The perfect picture of redemptive suffering is Jesus hanging on the cross of Calvary. He suffered, he bled, he died so that we could be saved. And we're to be what? Christ-like. As his disciples, we're to take up our cross daily and follow him. And we're to expect suffering for God's glory and the sake of others. Listen, we have a saying around here, every member is a minister. Every member is a minister. And we need to jumpstart that again. We've got to get everybody here that's born again and saved. We've got to get you busy for the kingdom of God. We've got to get you in ministry and get you doing things for the kingdom of God. And here's what I want you to keep in mind as you begin that. Your greatest ministry will come out of your deepest hurt. Your greatest ministry will come out of your deepest hurt if you're honest with God, honest with yourself, and honest enough to talk about it with other people. Number six, we've got to do this. We've got to do this. Take time for renewal. Take time for renewal. In verse 16, Paul says, this is why we never give up. That's the third time he said that. This is why we never give up. He's talking about overcoming. He's talking about defeating discouragement. This is why we never give up. Our bodies are dying. Literally in the Greek, that word means dying is wasting away. Anybody besides me experiencing that in life? You're, you're just dying away, aren't you? Getting slower and more painful, more aches, more pains, more trips to the doctor, more medicine. I mean, we're just dying, aren't we? This is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, although our bodies are wasting away, though our bodies are wasting away, our spirits are, say this out loud with me, being renewed every day. How do you marry that together? I see it in the mirror every morning. You know, Mac Davis wrote that song back in the 70s. Oh, Lord. It's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror. I get better looking each day. Well, that kind of happens up to about 30 or so, and then you break over the hill, and you don't get better looking every day. It's a true time of reflection, remembering when you did look like all that in a bag of chips, right? I got pictures to prove it. I used to be a good-looking guy, didn't I, honey? But all I know is now there's more to love, more to go around, right? But as these bodies are dying away, as these bodies are wasting away, I'm being renewed every day? That doesn't make a lick of sense. But as I've told you again and again and again, the world's economy and God's economy is two different things. We've got to learn how to be renewed every day, every day. Now then, our bodies are decaying. Our bodies are decaying. But Paul said, I renew myself 
daily. How do we renew ourselves daily? This is a book of hope. Jeremiah said, or God said through Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you. Huh? He, he said, I don't have plans to do you harm. I have plans to do you good. This is the book of hope. When everybody else says you can't go on, when everybody else says quit, God says go on. We're already promised eternity, church, to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. This is a book of hope. We're to renew ourselves daily. We talk a lot about that in Hope 200. We'll be starting a Hope 200 later this month. If you've never been through Hope 200, you need to sign up for it. If you've been through Hope 100, sign up for 200. We'll do that later this month. Number seven, and the last discipline for staying focused on being encouraged, seven disciplines of not being discouraged, defeating discouraged, is this. Stay focused on eternity stay focused on eternity is that not true right now friday this past friday was the end of my hiatus from facebook took a 30-day vacation from facebook if you want to renew your mind log off facebook Michelle, back me up here. I haven't watched news in the past 30 days. Have I? The past 30 days, no news, no Facebook. Now, I'm going to share some transparency here. 30 days ago, I was about done. I was moody. I was hateful. I was short-tempered. I just wasn't me, was I? I was not me. I can remember having a conversation with Michelle. She said, Steve, I can't handle you being this way because you're a rock. You're the one that's always saying, I'm going to be okay. You're the one that's always positive. You're the one that carries us when nobody else is willing to go. This can't be you. It's a wake-up call. I was just absorbing all this junk. I'm a fairly strong person, but everybody has their breaking point. And I was there. The Lord just spoke to my heart and said, get away from that junk. Well, you will see me far less on social media. I'm not, I'm not diving back into that junk. It can be used for good purposes, but it can certainly be used for bad purposes. It can be an encouragement for people, but it can certainly be a discouragement for people. You turn on the news, it's the same old, same old. 
Morning, noon, and night. Morning, noon, and night. Morning, noon, and night. Morning, noon, and night. I don't need that. Well, Brother Steve, you're a leader in the community. You're leading our church. You're a pastor. You need to know what's going on in the world. Hey, I could I can tell you what's going on in the world just by reading this book. We talked about it last week. Jesus said the more time goes on, the more sinful people will become and the less loving they will be. Is that not what the news says every day, morning, noon, and night? The world is more sinful, people are less loving, people are more rude, people are more hateful, they hate more, they love less. Do you need an anchor person to tell you that's what's going on in the world today? So what have you done for 30 days? I have stayed focused on eternity. Brother Steve, if you do that, you'll, you'll become so heavenly minded, you'll be no earthly good. I don't think so, do you? If I'm going to bless you and encourage you and lead you forward, I've got to be on my best game, don't I? And that comes from staying focused on eternity and staying focused on the Word of God. Because it doesn't matter what I say or what I do or whether I feel good or feel bad. What's taking place out there is going to take place. It's going to take place. Paul's final discipline for defeating discouragement is not focusing on the here and now. Because this is not eternity. Look what he says. The living Word of God is always in the present. Can I get an amen? Paul said this 2,000 years ago. The Word of God is alive and breathing. And it's always for right now. Listen to what he says. Our present troubles are quite small. Brother Steve, how, how can you, have you not watched any news in the last 30 days? Nope. Our present troubles are quite small. And guess what? No, they ain't no guesswork about it. This is the Word of God. And won't last very long. Everything is taking place right now. It's pretty small. From heaven's point of view, guess what? It's an anthill. Bunch of little busy ants just crawling around. God snickering at us. He's got it all in control. Our present troubles are quite small and won't last very long. Yet they produce in us an immeasurably great glory that will last forever. There's a lot of truth to this old statement. When life gives you lemons, make lemonade. Why? Because this trouble ain't going to last very long. Our present troubles are quite small. What it's doing is it's producing us inside of us an immeasurably great glory that will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see right now. Rather, we look forward to what we have not yet seen. And what we have not yet seen, we cannot comprehend. We can't comprehend it. Let's finish this up. Hebrews 12, 2. I'm sorry. For the troubles we see will soon be over, but the joys to come will last forever. End of 2 Corinthians 18. For the troubles we soon, because the 
troubles we see will soon be over, but the joy to come will last forever. Is that not encouraging? Is that not encouraging? Hebrews chapter 12. Let us keep our eyes fixed on who? If you're discouraged, keep your eyes on Jesus. You can walk on water when you do that. On whom our faith depends from beginning to end. He didn't give up because of the cross. On the contrary, because of the joy that was waiting for him, he thought nothing of the disgrace of dying on the cross, and he is now seated at the right hand of the Father, right hand of God's throne. So we don't give up. We focus on how much God loves us. We don't fake it. We're just who we are. These seven disciplines, we follow them. And we keep our eyes on Jesus. We focus on eternity, not the hearing now. Let me give you one last one, Galatians 6, 9. Church, we can't get tired of doing what's right. Let us not get tired of doing what is right for after a while. How long is a while? As long as God says it is. For after a while, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't get what? Yeah, if we don't get discouraged. We don't get discouraged and give up. Discouragement is the last step before you step off the cliff of giving up. God has given us seven disciplines to keep us from being discouraged. Here's my question to you. Do you promise to take these home and study them more in depth and put them into practice in your life? Please do. Please do. Michelle, y'all come on this morning. Y'all are familiar with Corey Tenboom, aren't you? Hero, a hero of the faith. Here's what Corey Tenboom said. She said, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look it in, if you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at Christ, you'll be at rest. Can I say that one more time? If you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look at within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at Christ, you'll be at rest. So all of life depends upon what we're focusing on, what we're looking at, what we're looking at. Bow your heads with me this morning. Bow your head and close your eyes with me. Would you pray this with me? Lord, help me never forget how much you love me. Help me quit faking it. Trying to be something that I'm not. Help me focus. Help me focus on being who you made me to be. Father, help me to remember that life is not about me. That life doesn't revolve around me. It's all about you. Help me relax in my limitations. Stop trying to be 
superman or superwoman and realize that you're the treasure in these jars of clay. Father, as I go through the pain, help me not to wallow in it, but to use my pain to help others. Help me take time for renewal every day do the things that recharge my spirit, my soul, my body, my heart, my relationships. Help me not to get so caught up in the day-to-day problems of this life that I lose my focus on eternity. Help me remember that this life is not all there is. Father, because you made me to last forever. Help me remember that this earthly life is only temporary. That I'm going to spend thousands and millions and trillions of years with you in eternity in a place called heaven. Would you pray this with me this morning? Lord, I'm claiming this promise that if I don't get tired of doing what's right, After a while, I'll reach your harvest full of blessings. Help me not to be discouraged and help me not to give up. God, I'm declaring to you and my brothers and sisters in this place today, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to trust you like Paul did. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Let's stand in worship this morning. Be obedient to the Holy Spirit.